Good evening to all of you. And I am coming to you from the platform pulpit of First Church, Sterling Heights. This lectern is usually placed in front of my Wednesday Bible class. And you know what? Nothing has changed because uh, of the magnificent team that surrounds me and serves this church. I am still in front of my Bible class. So I'm grateful for the diligent digital duties that these men and women work to provide this congregation. I was quite impressed with that phrase, diligent digital duties. Try and say that three times as fast as you can. Uh, I, I've always believed that the automobile was invented to put wheels on the gospel. And uh, this being the Motor City, we're so famous. Uh, at one time, over 90% of all the vehicles in the world were made in this city. We played a big role in that. Uh, then the airplane came along. It is my personal opinion that the airplane was invented to put wings on the gospel. And uh, the Romans were given a great historical compliment because of their ability to build paved roads. And the phrase was coined, all roads lead to Rome. But that's not entirely <laughs> accurate. I've got another way of looking at that road-building empire. You're familiar with the second chapter of the book of Acts, and of course, one through four gives the amazing um, account of the Holy Spirit being manifest on the day of Pentecost. But let me read to you what comes in the very next verse, in verse five. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. They were all amazed, saying one to another, Are not all these which speak Galileans? How hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, dwellers in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia in Egypt, and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene, strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. Sixteen different areas of the world were represented in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. They were Jews or Jewish proselytes who had come to celebrate the Feast of the Lord that we so often refer to as Pentecost. And so I want to thank the Roman road builders for not just making it convenient for people to come to Rome, but made it much more convenient for people to make it to Jerusalem, to be there to celebrate Pentecost and to be there in that incredible moment when I guess Pentecost was premiered and the spirit, the world of the spirit was changed forever. Years ago, I read something by a fabulous minister, um, a black man from Indianapolis, Indiana. His name was G.T. Haywood. 
he was the first one that I ever saw this. I've seen it in several variations and varieties after that, but Haywood wrote this in the late 20s. He said, history is actually two words, his story. And uh, I have said that as a preamble to thank the Lord once again for giving us the tools that we have tonight to allow me the convenience of being able to address you in your home. All over this city, families and Bible students are watching me through the internet. We have been given the most powerful tool to not just take the gospel to the whole world, but to take the gospel immediately to the whole world. Paul one time said in Acts 20 and verse 26, he said, I am pure from the blood of all men. And there are, of course, several ways to look at that. But one of the things he obviously meant was that he had done his best to preach the gospel to the civilized world. But it took him most of his life to do that. The fact is that tonight, I have no idea who's listening to me. And so I want to thank the Lord for the great blessing of being able to speak, not just to this flock of hungry sheep that call First Church home, but to listeners at large around the world. This has been an amazing week. We have been doing our best to manage uh, a situation that's very fluid and it's changing rapidly. We're doing our best to balance the dual duties of being good citizens by obeying our elected leaders and yet doing our best also not to shirk our duties to minister to the spiritual needs of those who look to us for direction in these times. I've always loved history and biographies, and I was pleasantly surprised to learn that I am sharing a week and quite possibly a day with a deeply loved leader from the past. No one was more respected in America than Franklin Roosevelt. He is the only president to ever have been elected three times. He came to office during the most difficult time in the history of this nation. It's known as the Great Depression. My father will soon be 93 years old. He went through that. He told me nobody that went through the Great Depression came out of it without being scarred. And um, he would uh, correct me at times because I would uh, spend money very freely and I would buy things without caring really for what the cost of it was. And he would say, if you had gone through the Depression, you wouldn't have done that. Franklin Roosevelt became president in the middle of the Great Depression. And if that wasn't enough, during his first year in office, the Midwest was ravaged by what is known as the Great Dust Bowl. In one day, I, this, this will be very hard for you to wrap your mind around this. In one day, 300 million cubic yards of dirt simply blew away. 
to put that in perspective, when they built the Panama Canal, it took them five years. And they dug out 270 million yards of earth. It took them five years to do that. But when Roosevelt became president in one day, they lost over 300 million yards of dirt. It was a double whammy. It's kind of like one of those old 50 radio stations that says, and the hits just keep on coming. And on this day, as near as I can tell, 87 years ago, Franklin Roosevelt sat down for the first of what would be 30 of something he simply called a fireside chat. He would just sit down behind a desk and he would talk to America to do his best to calm them and to help them understand what was going on and what was being done and implemented to help and giving them hope that they would come out of this. It is my hope that these times with you for the next several weeks or however long will be times that you will look forward to hearing just like those frightened folks did almost 90 years ago. Let's tune in to Pastor Hoffman and let's see what he's got to say. I want to begin by saying how wonderful it is to remind every one of you how wonderful it is to live a life that's faith-based. The song said, in times like these, you're going to need a rock that won't move, something that you can hook your anchor up to. Ten years ago in this city, we went through a horrible time that's been commonly referred to as the crunch. There was the crash, but we had the crunch. And what a crunch it was. I got a call during the middle of that crunch with all of the foreclosures and all of the terrible things that were going on economically then. I got a call from the man who handled our bank accounts for the church. And he said, I'd like you to just come down here and, and I want to see you for a moment. And so I went down to his office and we just began to talk and I did my best just to encourage him and make him laugh as I usually do. And I got up to leave and I was getting up to leave. He stopped me and he said, don't, 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 don't leave yet. And so I, I said, okay, why, why, why do you want me to stay? And he, he just looked at me so forlorn and he said, Pastor, I am responsible for 222 different accounts of businesses in this city. And he said, the church that you pastor is the only account that I am managing that's in the black. And I guess I just wanted to talk to somebody that didn't need interest-only payments or who was asking me for six months of not being able to have to pay a payment at all. He said, and I guess I've got a question for you. What in the name of God are you doing in that church that I don't see happening in so many other places? And I said, well, I've got a scripture for you. It's in the book of Exodus. And it said, there was darkness over all the land of Egypt. It said it was even darkness that could be felt. But in verse 23, it said it was so dark they couldn't see one another 
and nobody even moved. They, they never left where they were for three days. And then as I was getting ready to throw my punchline, my banker friend said, let me finish the rest of the verse, Pastor Hoffman. He said, but all of Israel had light in their dwellings. And I said, yes, sir, that's what it says. And uh, we had a word of prayer, and I left. And uh, not long after that, I was asked to write an article for a magazine. And uh, I told the editor I'd be proud and happy to write an article. But then he added, well, you're not going, we want to tell you what to write about, Pastor Hoffman. We are going to put out an issue about pastoring depressed people in a depressed city. <laughs> and I just said, well, uh, I'm not your guy. And, uh, and he began to quote all of the terrible things that were being said about Detroit. And my response to him was simple. I said, sir, when everything that can be shaken starts shaking, people start looking for something that won't shake. And I said, this economic world is shaking right now, and I'm privileged to live in a city where people are looking for something that won't move. And that is the rock called Jesus Christ. And uh, I said, this is the perfect time. for." He said, you've got more foreclosures in your... He said, you're missing a point. This is the perfect time for a great harvest. <laughs> and we found out that it was. And... Uh, there were lots of folks that had to move away during that time, but they've all been replaced and the church has flourished and we're so grateful for all of that. And uh, I strongly believe in the return of Jesus Christ. When he left, the angel told those disciples, why are you staring up into the clouds? This same Jesus who went away is coming back. And I believe that very strongly. What you and I are experiencing right now is nothing compared to what is going to happen after what the word calls the catching away. I don't want to be on this earth after the Lord takes the one thing out of it that means more to him than anything else. And that's the church. You do not want to be here after the church is taken. And so I found these verses that have always resonated with me in times like this. It's in the 17th chapter of the book of Luke. And in verse 20, Jesus is trying to explain to these religious leaders what the kingdom really was. Because these people were so convinced they were the children of God. They were convinced they had all of the truth. They were convinced that it was their temple that you had to attend in order to find the one true God. And Jesus starts his discourse. Listen to this verse in verse 22. He said unto his disciples, the days will come when you shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you shall not see it. Now that's sometimes too much stained glass scripture for most people. So let me give you another translation. It says, the arrival of the Son of Man is not something you go out to see. 
He simply comes. What that means is you got to be ready. You got to be ready. He's coming. <laughs> and and he followed this by this verse. He said the kingdom of God is not here or there. It's within you. It's within you. So this is an inside job. This is not about geography. Now Jesus spoke to large crowds. There were several times in the Bible that he spoke to crowds we know of that were in addition to 5,000 people. But he also spoke to a woman at a well, just him and her. He spoke to Nicodemus, a leader, a ruler, possibly what we would call a Supreme Court justice. Many times in the Bible, it was just Jesus and one person. So what you've got to understand, ladies and gentlemen, that the church is not where you are. The church is who you are. And Jesus told the woman at the well, he said, the hour's going to come when you're not going to worship in this mountain or in Jerusalem. In other words, it's not going to be limited to one geographical location. And there are people that can just melt down right now. I've, I've got to go to the church. I've got to, I've got to, and to them, the church is this building in Sterling Heights, but that's not accurate. This is just the place where the church meets. You are the church. And you need to understand that right now, where you are in your living room, in your kitchen, either by yourself or possibly with family members, you have to understand what the kingdom is and what it isn't. One group said you could find God there. Another group said you could find him here. Jesus said the day is coming when you're not going to be able to limit him to simply one location. Read these verses where he talks about the days of Noah. He said they were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, divorcing, getting married again, divorcing, getting married again. Sound familiar? It's a culture way. It said, and they knew not until the day the flood came and took them all away. Then he talks about a guy by the name of Lot, Abraham's nephew. This famous verse is found there in the book of Luke. Remember Lot's wife. We don't know what she looked like. We're not told to remember her because of her economic status. We're not told to remember her because of how much education she accomplished. We are to remember her because, according to the word, somewhere out in that arid desert tonight, there's a, there's a bump on the ground. It doesn't look like much. It's uh, not dirt. It's worn with time. But according to the word, it's still there. It used to be a woman. A woman that got out of Sodom, but never really ever got Sodom out of her. And Jesus used that example about fleeing Sodom with this catching away thing that is presenting itself to you and me. I was going to do it. I, 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 it just became so overwhelming, I didn't. But I was going to fill stands around me tonight with books. I've got dozens and dozens of books in my library that I've collected over the years. 
about prophecy. Without exception, every one of those books attempt to answer the same question. When is Jesus coming back? But when you read the discourse in Luke 17, Jesus talks about two people going to sleep and only one of them waking up in the morning because the other one, the other side of the bed is empty. He talked about two people that were working in a field and one of them just turned around to talk to his coworker and there's a, a rake just lying lifelessly between a row of beans where a worker was just moments ago. He talked about two people that would be working side by side. One would turn to her friend, but she wasn't there. The disciples asked this question when Jesus said that. Where? Where, O Lord? And Jesus said something amazing. He said, wherever the carcass is, or wherever the body is, that's where the eagle is going to gather. The disciples did not ask the question that everybody's asking, when is Jesus coming? The disciples had enough insight to ask the most critical question, where, where should I be when the Lord comes? And the answer is simple, in the body, in the body. I have gone fishing for some years in July with a group of men from this church. I went there because it was time I could spend with my dad. And uh, um, I don't know if I'll ever have that experience again with my dad. I, I knew the day was coming when it would probably be my last chance to be with him. I'm very glad that I had that experience, and uh, I deeply, dearly love my dad. But what always amazed me is we would catch these fish, and because there were lots of bears around us, they, uh, they had advised us, don't leave the entrails of your fish by your cabin, because the bears will find it. So when we'd catch fish, we would, uh, we would dress them out and take the entrails hundreds of yards away across the water to a rock that was out in the middle of this bay. And you have to understand, we, we, we would drive over 12 hours north from Detroit, and then we'd get into a boat, and we'd drive over an hour, and most of the time for one week, we never saw anybody. We were as far away from civilization as you could possibly get. And yet, when we would put the innards of those fish on one of those deserted rocks. In a matter of moments, there would be an eagle there and just sticking his head in that goo and just having a big old buffet and stuff that was very repulsive to me. And when I saw that, I remembered this verse. I do not know how that eagle figured it out. They have told us about their amazing eyesight. And uh, I've, I've been witness to that. But uh, Jesus used that analogy. He said, I'm telling you, if you put a, 
a carcass out there. Eagles are going to find it. And just as sure as an eagle can find a carcass, I'm going to find my church, which is referred to in the scripture as the body. So my question tonight is not when is Jesus coming? My question to myself and to the rest of us is where are we right now? Because the Bible said in Corinthians 12 and 13, by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, into one body. In Ephesians 4, you know, it said there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. But right before it, it says there is one body and one spirit. And I, I, I'm here to remind you, you got to get a, be a part of the body of Christ. And uh, right now, that's not going to be about coming into a building. And what are you going to do about that? Because the hard, cold truth, ladies and gentlemen, is this. We have become so attached to these buildings that we have adopted a model that's really not biblical. I'm grateful for a building because I, I, I really strongly believe where the scripture talks about enter into your prayer closet. There are some things you can only get when you're by yourself, where you're totally free from distraction. But there are some things you're only going to be able to get when you're with other brothers and sisters. And right now, we are not permitted to be together corporately as we have been for many, many, many years. I'm grateful for a building. I'm grateful for a place where we have come, and I'm very confident very soon we'll be able to come back together. And when we do, my wife, um, we had a series of events happen to us this past year, and um, she was traveling a lot, and then my daughter was carrying a child, and she lives in Texas, and it was a very, very difficult uh, time of carrying this precious little baby. So my wife went there to be with her daughter, Soon as she came back, we went away, as we do every February. We went away on a trip. And so when we added it all up, my wife had been gone almost five months. Now, I've lived with this woman for 40 years. This year, it'll be 40 years. I've never known a morning when she doesn't get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and read her Bible. Every morning, she reads her Bible and she prays. She told me that while we were apart, she never missed a podcast. She never missed times of auditing our services online. But she said when she walked into church for the first time after almost five months of being away, she immediately began to smile and began to cry because she said, I sensed the presence of God in a way that I hadn't felt she said, I had struggled with despair. I had wrestled with depression, even though I read my Bible and I prayed regularly. She said, I was just so relieved to be back with the body again. And when we are able to come back together again, brothers and sisters, you're going to be grateful for this thing that maybe we've taken for granted for quite a while now. It's just such a delight when we can be together corporately. But until that time comes back to us, what are we going to do? You're going to have to learn the value, number one, of being able to be with your family. Enjoy this time with your family. 
Enjoy your time. Enjoy your time of having dinner together with another couple. When you talk, let your words be seasoned with salt. It's one thing for people that don't serve the Lord to freak out and be melting down right now, but it's a really sad scenario when someone who claims to serve the Lord lives in terror and fear right now. And that's why I said to you, I'm so grateful to live a faith-based life. I, I personally feel very, very sad for folks right now who don't serve Jesus Christ, or I guess even worse, people that used to serve him and walked away. Because it's hard to remember something you never tasted. But when you have had a valid walk with him and you chose to walk away, I'm convinced there's some extra special fear that gets attached with that. So the Bible said fear is the beginning of wisdom. It's where real wisdom starts. So are we going to learn from this or not? Because this is an amazing opportunity for you to witness. Everywhere I've been for the last couple of weeks, I've done my best to smile. I, you, you don't have to quote scripture right now. All you have to do is smile. Because people are terrified. Treat people with deference. I remember when 9-11 happened. We opened up this church. And for weeks, people that I never knew just came into this building and prayed. And then they would get up and leave. But it quickly faded. It is my personal opinion that we missed as a nation a perfect opportunity to repent. Because when 9-11 happened, it was my generation's equivalent of the bombing of Pearl Harbor. This whole country came together. For just a few short weeks, we came together. And we were pulling for one another. And we were doing our best to encourage one another. And then it faded. So here we are again. Two weeks ago, 90% of America said they were happy with their life. I would be interested to know what that percentage is today. The political world was as ugly as ever two weeks ago. But look how quickly things have changed. We have a chance as a nation to repent. We have a chance right now to see just how frail and how fragile and how precious life really is. We'll go through this, but don't come out of this the same way that you went into it. Come out of this thing thankful. Come out of this thing with a grateful heart. There's a verse that's always intrigued me as I close. It's in Philippians. And, and in Philippians 1 and 3, this is what Paul said. I thank God Upon every remembrance of you, or every memory, every time I think about Philippi, I thank God for it. And, and, and you could just pass that scripture over, but what you need to do is go back to Acts 16. Acts 16 is the account of Paul and his fellow minister being in this place called Philippi. And they ended up in jail. They had been beaten the Bible said they, are, they were tied up in bonds. But there's this great scripture that says, and at midnight, Paul and Silas began to sing. <laughs> you know, there's a Bible verse that says, joy comes in the morning. 
But if you really want to get technical about it, the morning doesn't begin when the sun comes up. A.M. starts one minute after midnight. That's when the morning technically begins. So to me, sometimes when it's darkest, that's when you got to sing. You got to sing. Paul and Silas began to sing. There was an earthquake. Now, I've been in several regions of the world, and I've been in earthquakes before. And let me tell you what my experience is. In most third world countries, the roof falls first, then the walls collapse. This is way before building codes. None of those buildings, very few of them from that era are are even around. They've all fallen down. When you had an earthquake back then, the roof was supposed to fall in and then the walls come in on top of that. But guess what? The only thing that happened was the doors were opened. (laughs) So you've got two kinds of people in this prison. You've got bound people that don't know God and you've got bound people that do know God. And when the bound people that do know, did know the Lord, began to praise and worship, God sent an earthquake, everybody got free. So there's something you can learn from that. Bound freedom is never gonna come to our bound brothers and sisters that don't know God until freedom, first of all, comes to bound brothers and sisters who do know him. We have to be free right now. And you gotta keep singing because your singing is the key to their deliverance. You gotta understand that. And uh, I, you know, Paul said, I thank God for every memory of Philippi. And if you read the scripture, he's in the middle of a great harvest. And all of a sudden he has a vision of a man in Macedonia saying, come over here and help us. And he leaves this harvest they see experiencing and goes to this city and he meets a group of women that are praying. One of them's a wealthy lady, a businesswoman named Lydia. She is moved by this man and what he has to say and invites him to stay in her house. And it was Lydia's home that began Paul's ministry in the city of Philippi. In time, that harvest and that move of the spirit became so large that it started putting the idol makers out of business and they caused a riot. Paul ends up in prison with Barnabas and, uh, or is it Silas? I think it may be Silas. Either way, they began to sing. God sent an earthquake. Everybody, you got to realize you're talking about convicts here. (laughs) People who are probably under the term of the death penalty. Nobody leaves. Why? Because I think they felt they were safer with the preachers in the middle of that earthquake than they were. uh, Because the building should have fallen in, but it didn't. They stayed there. And all of a sudden this jailer runs in because according to Roman law, if you as a, an officer of the law lost one of your charges, you had to suffer the penalty. You had to pay the penalty for the person you were responsible for overseeing. So this guy's going to lose his life because of the prison, all these people that have left. And in the midst of this darkness, Paul says, don't hurt yourself. 
We're all here. And as they do the torches and the lanterns, to that guy's amazement, all these doors are opened and everybody's sitting in their cell. It so moved him that he took Paul to his house, washed his wounds, and began to listen to this preacher. And the Bible said the jailer and all of his house believed and were baptized. It is my personal opinion. This is probable, but it's not provable. I believe the guy in the vision was the jailer. Because you could, Paul said, I thank God for every memory. And I'm saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. Isn't that the place where, where, where the business owners turned against you? Isn't that the place where you were arrested? Isn't that the place where you were beaten? Isn't that the place where you were shackled and handcuffed and thrown in prison? But he could also say, yeah, but that's all the, so the place where I met my man. And I thank God for the prison, and I thank God for the earthquake, because if I would have never gone through that, I would have never met my man. So, ladies and gentlemen, who are you and I supposed to come in contact with in the next couple of weeks? If we're permitted that months and years from now, we look back on this scenario and we say, I thank God for the coronavirus. And you say, but isn't that the time when there was terror? Didn't they shut down all the stores? Was it? Yeah, 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 yeah. But that's when I met this man. Or that's when I met this woman. Or that's when God gave me favor with these people. That's how. See, see, we're either going to be self-focused consumers or we're either going to be self-sacrificing servants. And my, my fear is, and what really I'm grateful for, is too much of church has become entertainment. And whoever has the best show has the biggest crowd. And I live in a religious world where the emphasis is on attendance, not on the moving of the Holy Ghost. We need a move of the Holy Ghost. We need a manifestation of the presence of God. And for years I have said too many things go on in church that we can explain. We need things to go on now that nobody can explain. So I appeal to you, my brother and sister, this is a great time for you to be a great witness in front of your wife, in front of your children, in front of your friends and neighbors. If you who claim to God melt down, if you claim to serve God right now and you're full of fear just like everybody else, your witness is gone. But if you right now, while everything else is shaking, you're stable, you need to tell them in times like these, you need a rock that you can hook your anchor to and hook your life to. I'm looking forward to our times together. Follow us on social media. We will keep you informed and updated of what our intentions are. And I've told the team, I want this to be an opportunity and not an obstacle. I was on the phone today with another pastor in the city. And he said, what do you, let's have a revival, Harold. And I said, okay. What do you, he said, let's have an old time revival. So we began to talk and said, 
Okay, this is what we're planning, and we'll let you know as the days go on. We're going to have an old-fashioned revival in the Detroit metro area. See, old-time revivals were seven days a week. You didn't take a night off. It was Monday through Sunday. Every night you had church. So we're going to have an old-time revival meeting on the Internet in Detroit. And for seven nights in a row, we're going to have various ministers preach and teach to you. And every night you can turn into something and tune into something and uh, listen to something that will be relevant, something that will encourage you, something that will feed you. And, uh, you know, we want to know everything. Where are we going to be five? This is what the Lord told Moses. As thy days are, so shall thy strength be. It's daily bread. So you can't gobble up a week's worth of spiritual manna right now. You're going to have to serve him every day. We're going to do our best in this church leadership team to be able to give you something that every day you can take advantage of. I love you, and I'm looking forward to coming out on the other side of it. The Bible said it came to pass. Trust me, this is going to pass. We're going to go through it, but what's important is... In what shape are we going to be when we come out on the other side? Because the word says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And while we're waiting right now, we're supposed to be getting stronger, not weaker. I love you. Good night. Amen.